Well, what a way to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. New episode. It's the second episode, no? This yeah, year? I think. Yeah, we, we said we do every month and now it's May, so. Yeah, perfect. That's what, what audience want to hear. So Great success. Great success. Exactly. <laughs> so what's exactly the reason you, you call me in this late evening here in Switzerland when I just wanted to have my beer after a hard day of work? Is this an emergency? <laughs> I think it's an emergency. I think we've got some stuff to uh, discuss that seems pretty uh, serious, actually. So what's it all about? Why don't you uh, take it from here and give a brief <laughs> okay. introduction? <laughs> okay, let's try. Um, it's Thursday, the 19th of May. And it's the day where a lot of different news sites actually published news articles relating to a just published uh, scientific communication article within the journal the Nature's Communication Journal, which is titled Searching the Web Builds Fuller Picture of Arachnid Trade. And they basically discuss, and not only discuss, but they really try to disassemble the whole arachnid trade around the globe and give some insights on it. And of course, because this has something to do with the exotic pet hobby, a lot of uh, news sites went on and wrote some articles about it, which the whole exotic pet hobby on the arachnid side, arachnid side of, yeah, just puts it in a bad light. So that's what we decided to just uh, have a, a short podcast on that. Yeah, I think when the media gets involved, it's always really frustrating and scary because it's so misunderstood to people outside the hobby so like tarantulas and arachnids and stuff like the normal person i guess or the person outside of the hobby is generally not going to care about it and they're generally going to be afraid of like spiders and like not just not even think much about it so there's already these negative connotations coming from people you know in general but then when it hits the media it just makes it even worse and yeah. as tarantula keepers like we try so hard to make it not to make tarantulas not scary to make keeping tarantulas more normal and so it's it kind of goes completely against everything we try i guess to introduce people into spiders and keeping and stuff like that and I think another reason is why we're discussing it on the very same day it just got published is actually because it was in the news everywhere in the US at least and it potentially picks up also in Europe so because it's already in the media we decided to just have a short talk about this whole publication and uh, with our limited view and, and also time on this uh, publication just shed some light in it and maybe yeah put out some questions uh on how you can actually view this publication and if some other people uh like confront you with this matter because they've also read it in the news and you are the one 
who is like keeping spiders. Okay, kind of the same way when people find a spider and they first go to you and say, is this a brown recluse? It's like the same concept. They just associate you with them because they know you keep them. And yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so basically this article was in a preprint state since January. So everyone out there was able to read this article without it being um, peer reviewed yet. And funny enough, it just came to my attention yesterday because you sent me the preprint version of it and said, well, let's discuss it. And now the next day, uh, this preprint version from January is actually ready for publication on the, on the next day. So I haven't really had time to like read the now peer reviewed article and I'm right. pretty sure a lot of stuff has changed because there is also a peer review file um, present where you can like actually see what these peers in this peer review process actually have asked the authors and asked about more uh, information and maybe rephrase certain things or explain certain things. So I'm pretty sure I don't have the exact yeah, same opinion because I've just uh, focused on the on the preprint uh, version this morning and now we have a full peer-reviewed um, art but nevertheless there are still some things identical and it's yeah really worth worth checking it out and maybe uh, just bring some some uh, context to it so I know um, originally with the preprint version, there were a couple things that uh, raised a few questions. Um, one of them being uh, that they looked kind of overlooked the captive breeding happening in the hobby, um, maybe a little bit in the publication. So do you want to maybe expand on that a little? Yeah, sure. Well, the first thing I just noticed actually was that it wasn't really clear on where the data actually came from. They mentioned that they have searched several different websites, but it was not like openly available what kind of websites they were. Of course, there were some invert shops, but it was not mentioned. They were censored. And I'm not sure if it's now publicly available after the peer-reviewed publication, but without knowing what kind of um, shops or websites they searched to find out how many spiders and arachnids are actually trade it's really hard to reproduce uh, the results so you even though you know all the parameters and search uh, criteria they're used you don't really can reproduce the result when you don't know which websites they actually searched and it's also a bit difficult to find out on how they specified or if they even specified if there are captive bred arachnids out there or just wild caught. Because I remember in the preprint version, the teaser was somewhat like 80% of all arachnids trade, traded are wild caught. And I think the assumption there is just, they might have just like put out, searched for all these different species and then checked, was there ever a legal export of this species from the country of origin? And if not, they just deemed that all of the offered specimens from these different species in these web shops are actually wild caught. And I think that's 
a pretty wild and also false assumption in the end because of course the origin of these species in the hobby might have been uh, illegal in the first place but we all know that invertebrates breed like crazy and in the most times really easily so you have like thousands and thousands of baby spiders and scorpions which are all captive bred so it's difficult. exactly and it's it's kind of it's hard to like make a general statement on that too because like you know there's no p metallicas that are wild caught circulating in the hobby at least here period there's none there's no green bottle blue circulating in the hobby that are wild caught at least here <laughs> because there's no reason for it there's no need for it we know that these are primarily if not 100% captive bred specimens in the hobby because they're readily available to breed and you just see people doing it all the time now there are definitely species that we know are generally more wild caught and i know that raises a lot of questions already in the hobby and people tend to try to avoid it is it completely unavoidable at this point you know no but when we get those adult specimens to start breeding in captivity it completely removes the need or the necessity to ever collect it from the wild again. And that's Man. been, that's always been a big goal in the hobby is breeding. And that's why we, we, we push it so much, uh, even to like the, the regular keeper, you know, everybody wants everybody to be involved in it to remove that aspect. And it's worked for some species. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really think that, we have to, even if it's hard to look at this publication not really negatively or solely negatively, because what the media makes out of it, that's what you see today, right? The media just takes this publication and takes all these negative points and makes their statements so they get more traction on their websites. But uh, they also, like, in even though it's a small part because the website has a, uh, not the website, but the publication had a, a different aim, but they also suggest solutions. So on my end, at least, I'm very well aware of the like illegal trade of arachnids, and I'm all in for a healthy change in protecting animals in the wild and protect their habitat. But uh, I think it like the prohibitions never really was the solution to any problem like especially when a human made problem so i think it's extremely critical that if you prohibit more stuff that then you create potentially a like more in the dark illegal black market absolutely and i'm really not sure if that's the right way because the thing is they have suggested in the publication that it needs local uh, breeding efforts from the country of origin, and that that will be maybe a solution. So, for example, in Mexico, there is a very famous system they have implemented in breeding uh, terraphosids for um, a few years now, actually, which they really uh, successfully breed all these uh, Mexican brachypelma and cleptocatl species and export them with CITES papers. And the same for Colombia with these uh, poison dart frogs from the Ophaga genus 
they have some endemic, really colorful looking Ophaga species like Ophaga limani or Ophaga histrionica. And they've all like bred them very successfully in Colombia and documented the whole like process of the animal itself and then legally exported it with with paper. And if you have animals with a legal origin, it's like, of course, they will be bred overseas uh, with no problems. And these offsprings are all captive bred. Right. Um, I think that like just initial reaction, it just seems like they had an agenda and a negative view of our hobby. And it feels kind of like, you know, they might be, they don't really want it to exist. Um, so it's something for politicians to reference when making laws. And um, as you said, like, it, it ends up causing more <laughs> illegal transactions, uh, keeping things quieter. Uh, when we do, when we make laws that overprotect it, and like something I'm going to like bring up is the Sri Lankan pokies here. Um, we can't ship them across state lines anymore, right? Um, but what is that doing for the wild population in Sri Lanka? Nothing. Uh, if anything, these laws that we have are actually causing harm to the captive populations because none of these that we have are were from Sri Lanka. They were all born here, but now we can no longer ship them over state lines and it makes it really difficult for the hobby to breed and sell these anymore. And meanwhile, in Sri Lanka, we have the population still declining, no protections really uh, going on over there as far as I'm aware. So it, these backwards laws that could be made as a result of studies like this um, could end up not only hurting the wild populations, but the captive ones as well. Absolutely, yeah. But I truly think that there's a huge difference in people like, I'll just say we as people who keep animals as pets and people who are only interested in conversation, uh, conservation. Because the, the conservationists I met, so far at least, they more or less have the mindset, and I don't want to put everyone on the same basket or anything, so of course there are differences, but like I truly think, or I, I assume will be more or the better term, um, is that like conservationists like um, these authors working on these uh, tarantulas and truly think that they are better off dying in the wild and getting extinct than someone is keeping them as a pet. And I think that's the real issue here because conservation means like conserve the species in its natural habitat and that it has a natural place to live where it's originated from. And most of the conservationists I met um, are more on the side that if we can't save the planet or if we can't save the habitat and the species has a natural living space anymore, then it's not worth um, keeping them in breeding programs in zoos because that's the usual thought. Um, they don't want the animals to suffer, right? They think that keeping them in captivity is, um, is harming the animal. 
so it's not worth right. um, like letting the species live on the planet anymore if there is no place for it uh, in the wild. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's yeah, I think it will never resolve with the exotic pet hobby then. Yeah, exactly. Like coming into this, like you know, I'm I, I'm really thinking they had like an agenda, and they don't like our hobby. They don't want it to exist, and you know they they don't care <laughs> uh, about. I guess they don't look at the captive breeding going on because they probably don't care about it. But that's I I, I think that it's unfair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. As for our hobby, I feel like we generally, I, I mean, pretty much everybody tries to do things as clean and legal as possible. Obviously, there are going to be bad eggs. There's a legal collection going on. We don't want that, and we don't like that, and that's not what we're, like, arguing here, I guess, just to be clear. Um, nobody likes that, uh, except, I guess, the people in it for money and and stuff like that and that's an ugly side of the hobby that we know exists and i do feel like we kind of try to ignore it because it makes us all look bad but the reason why articles and publications like this are being made is because of the bad aches like that yeah true they have also very interesting numbers regarding like the legally exported uh, animals like from thailand china uh, chile in the earlier years because they use this uh, Lemis database, which apparently is some sort of uh, import database from the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service in, in the US, which uh, clearly states which numbers, what what the amount of, of uh, tarantulas got imported into the US. So that's also very, how do you say, like extreme to see how many spiders and scorpions actually got imported on a legal way from countries like uh, Chile or um, I mentioned it before, like Thailand and China, just thousands upon thousands, ten thousands of specimens. And that was all legal, but of course it was not sustainable. And, yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, I remember that like a conversation we had in another podcast, like leading back to that, we discussed the like legal and illegal side of poaching i guess remember we talked yeah. about all the rose hairs that were quickly exported out of uh chile before they closed the border like all those specimens were removed and that was completely a legal transaction and a legal thing mm -hmm. um then there's the illegal aspect too where you know people are i mean how how did we get t celadonia in the hobby it was a hundred percent illegal, and I feel like that's why people it came they came down so hard on those involved um, because it was a clear illegal thing happening. And um, I don't condone that. I don't have a T Celadonia, but but the, I don't know. There's so many factors that possibly were overlooked in this whole paper. Yeah. yeah. There are, there are a few points in this study which, of course, we hoped uh, could be more positively phrased or more solution-oriented. Um, as we mentioned, that there is the assumption that a lot of, or 70% of all specimens offered in these uh, 
offers around the internet, which they uh, used in their study uh, to get all their values from, um, are wild caught. And that I truly disagree with because if you think about the Mexico solution we have, where Mexico was able to breed locally a lot of the Brachypelma and Piltocatl species, export them legally to Europe, Canada, um, China, and the US, um, all these offsprings uh, from Brachypelma and Piltocatl are with CITES papers and have no illegal origin. And they have, in the meanwhile, uh, produced uh, offspring again. And all this, this offspring from these legal exported specimens from Mexico, which are now offered in these websites for sale, are in this study and potentially um, classified as wild-caught specimens, which they are clearly not. Right. So, I don't know. I have to read the uh, peer-reviewed paper. Maybe they have changed some things. Um, but there are a few issues I have just with uh, the overall like um, view of it. Like They have, I think, used sales websites for arachnids all around the globe so i have they have data from brazilian websites offering brazilian species and you can clearly see that in their in their data they have um, published so they have species there like bumba rondonia bumba lenoni tapinogenius bruneus which are all species native to and living in brazil and are not present in any hobby uh, around the globe. Not not that I know of, or not that I have found using Google search. So they are clearly offered within the same country in Brazil, right? So there are people in the Brazilian hobby offering Brazilian species to their Brazilian friends. And right. Oh, that values, makes sense. And these values are also in this publication and raising the number in like total species trade worldwide, traded worldwide, right? So it's always some kind of perspective and context you have to put to these numbers. Um, and But that's also something they, they write in the paper. Right? They say that they need a lot more data to accurately uh, describe the whole pet trade and that it's just their first uh, real ambition to do that. I'm reading in the article uh, by ABC News, they're saying, so only about 2% of all species in trade are listed by scientists, and that's a vanishing small proportion of all arachnids. What does that mean? 2% of all species in trade are listed by scientists? It says it means 98% of species can be traded with no overreaching regulations outside those that are instigated by their country. I see. That's what I mean regarding the CITES so yeah, only okay. two percent of all the species are listed in the CITES appendix, even one, two, or three. Uh, I see. Okay. Three has no real value, but there is CITES appendix two for in the tarantula world for all the Brachypelma, all the Tiltocatl, now newly right. all the Petsiloteria, right, and some of Anopelma species, and their assumption is that the more species get CITES protection and CITES Appendix 2 or in their dreams uh, potentially CITES Appendix 1 protection which prohibits all commercial trade um, is helping uh, the species 
in terms of it does not get traded, right? Um, so I'm not a biologist or conservationist, but uh, if you like put a species on CITES Appendix 2, just like Brachypelma and Plethocatl, then the trade is still possible. It just needs right. regulation. So that means the export country, in this case Mexico most of the time, or Sri Lanka and India for Petsiloteria, says we can export, let's say, 10,000 uh, specimens a year. But the thing is, once these species get bred outside their country of origin, there is no real um, problem anymore because you can breed them within the same country and trade them within the same country without any regulation. So this, the whole hobby is not affected by the CITES Appendix 2. Right. Um, and also Appendix... Well, Appendix 1 is also, I think, not possible to keep them as a pet. But I was in, under the impression that it's just um, the trade is not uh, possible under Appendix 1. Because that's another uh, thing they are trying to do. The same group of authors is trying to list the genus Tifoglaena, like with Tifoglaena zeladonia, under the Appendix 1 list, which prohibits all trade um, from country to country. So that's something they're working on and that's that's something I see coming in the next few years because these are the only people really working on this group of spiders. They're putting out their studies. Um, there are no other people working uh, on this group of spiders who have a different opinion. And as you mentioned in the end, politicians uh, will use these scientific articles and make their laws upon it or yeah these uh like from the cites gremium will decide well based on your research we will put um these maybe on cites appendix one so that's clearly i can see coming and we we see uh like these laws and cites and stuff commonly like being put on reptiles and other like exotic animals. So now it's kind of interesting that uh, they're paying attention to the arachnid hobby more. Uh, and I know Tom Moran has like stressed this so much over the past few years that we we're getting more and more eyes put on us. The hobby's exploding. You know, uh, these laws are coming. And, you know, we I, I'm surprised P. metallicas haven't been put on some endangered species list or something yet. I've kind of expected that. But oh, well, um, they are. At least in the United States, they're not being ah, okay. uh, treated like the um, Sri. Sri I can't speak. Like the Sri Lankan ones. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, right now, I'm looking back at the ABC article, and I'm reading wildlife trade is a huge issue for biodiversity. A conservation biologist. Um, blah blah. However, it tends to be the illegal trade of bigger, more charismatic animals that people tend to think is the wider problem. She said. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. At least, um, you know, it, for so many years, we've seen the reptile hobby and other exotic animals go through this kind of stuff. And now, now we are, we're, we're really subject to that. Sorry, yeah, I'm just absolutely. 
I'm skimming this whole article. Uh, another another thing that I thought was interesting in this article, it says, um, the research also poses concern about the individuals who are buying these arachnids. There's no vetting of potential owners, a demographic consisting larger of younger people, many of whom may release the animal when they no longer want them. Oof. Yeah, that's fear mongering, of course. That's I know, and that's that's why I'm saying like when this hits the media, it's the article already. You know, there's concerns in it, there's questions about it, but as soon as it hits the media, it's all negative, a hundred percent bad. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Definitely, yeah. Because this so article think... started off about conservation, and then now they're ending it, saying. Well, there's no vetting of potential owners. Um, this demographic is young people who might put them in the wild. What? What a leap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's time to, if someone out there or more people than just one truly believes that their hobby or what they do in the spider or scorpion hobby, what they do when breeding species or making discoveries, when they really think um, it matters, um, to the world, to the species, uh, to help the species maybe thrive in the wild, then it's potentially time now to also go into the public. And I don't mean publish podcasts or YouTube videos like we do, but more <laughs> maybe go a different approach, like on these journals and stuff, um, write some small notes on these hobby journals we have, the British Tarantula Society journal for example uh for the english audience or the german audience where the um the arge the deutsche arachnologische gesellschaft uh has a journal and published like articles from all of us hobbyists in the past 20 or 30 years which really just needs someone to look at it i think it's really easy to pub publish an article now in the same journal just citing all these hundreds and hundreds of hobby and citizen scientist articles where they have successfully bred tarantulas to just put a different light on the whole scenario and say that it's really there is really a sustainable way of uh, like keeping these animals so that's a potential which is out there and uh but I don't know uh, if it's really working out. Absolutely. And going back to what you said earlier, though, like these, some of these conservationists just don't even want them to exist in captivity, period. So even if it wasn't hurting the wild populations and it's solely captive bred specimens, they don't want that either, it seems. And like there's no way to make them happy <laughs> when, it, when, yeah. when it's that extreme. And, and this goes like with PETA, you know, I've had my fair share of like, <laughs> issues I guess uh, between them and me uh, but it, it's that extremism that it, it doesn't matter period <laughs> it doesn't matter to them they just don't want them in captivity so it, it is a solution to say hey look we have this hobby we can sustain it uh, without removing any animals from the wild uh, at least in time uh, hopefully eventually all species but they're not going to care because there's no way to please them. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And that's the point. In the end, I think that's also the point uh, of politics, right? Worldwide politics or just like country-specific politics. 
it all comes down on the like how do you treat animals in what way do you treat animals and is it is it um how do you say like is it okay to keep animals as pets and if that is still the case then invertebrates are most certainly the best pets you can keep um starting like you usually you have to ban a lot of like all the birds and mammals and fishes and stuff first before you go to banning invertebrates like situational awareness of a mammal for example so yeah um, I, that's something i was like a point that i was kind of thinking of bringing up it um they they feel like these tarantulas and scorpions and stuff they're not going to be happy in captivity but it's it's wild to me because we know that they're they don't have that like level of consciousness to sit there and think i'm in a box all day like i'm so bored in this box but we do see a ton of exotic animals that are very intelligent that actually like benefit more being in the wild i guess like Mm. they're going to be happier in the wild and they're comparing the two and it's not the same but if we have to look into the future for like the next 50 or so years I honestly can see that there's like a complete change worldwide that it's not longer no longer allowed to really keep pets. I I can see that future. So if it's going to happen, I don't know, but I see the arguments and I also see all the arguments of the conservationists that they say, well, if we as a human race or human species actually destroy all these habitats and these species then there is no need for us to just keep them in captivity and keep them as pets i get that argument and in some cases i actually can agree with them absolutely yeah i mean i am you know one of those people who think save the habitat first save the wild population first i i mean i don't know it's hard it's hard you know <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> and still they could have put in their publication more reference of like they even they even linked one of the publications uh like there's a monograph about the new world tarantulas with the editor uh, the perez miles fernando perez miles edited the whole publication or the book actually and there are different chapters in it from very well-known and respected uh, researchers on the field of uh, tarantulas or new world tarantulas, the specific uh, book. And there he also has a whole chapter about uh, breeding tarantulas in that scientific monograph book. And they have listed that resource, but uh, I think not really in a positive way or in a positive way, like they could have put way more how do you say like more information or more context to it and say well there is like evidence of so and so many people who bred them uh, in captivity but they they decided to not do that in that publication and i think in my opinion is that this is then a more limited view on the whole point right more biased yeah maybe more biased exactly and uh yeah, I think all research is biased some, somewhat, right? Uh, but still, yeah, it would have been better, of course, because we are now on the on the losing side <laughs> when it comes to this publication. So we can say that we would 
would have uh, loved to see more positive uh, input because because it's out there, right? They just needed to use these references. There is a right. lot of um, positive references out there. They did a lot. What also is interesting to me is they did do some research, I guess, into the hobby because we know that they collected data from arachnoboards, which is like one of the oldest standing tarantula forums on the internet. And they've been doing this research uh, supposedly for about two decades, it says in the ABC article. So, I mean, these people are in the, not in the hobby, but they're, they're, making contact with people in the hobby, taking data and seemingly using it against us, but only the negative, you know what I'm saying? Like they didn't, there's so much that they didn't take into account. They only went in and collected negative stuff. It seems so. Yeah. I can't assume or make assumptions on like what they really try to achieve here, but, uh, looks like they could have used way more positive reference to make an even uh, picture of the whole situation. That's true, yeah. But uh, if you look at it from a like solely conservationist aspect um, and you are doing statistics, which like you can make your statistics look like you want to because you're the one who chooses the resources and the attributes and the weighting of the whole stuff so i can you can like make make it look with the identical data set on positively or negatively biased either way it's statistics right so it really depends on how many attributes you incorporate and what kind of questions do you ask yourself and I think yeah we we covered it in the in the earlier phase at least in the preprint version of it it was more that I was not able to see if they identified um between wild caught specimens and captive bred specimens it appeared that they just are gathering all the different species out there uh, which are listed on some website and then potentially map them to the different countries and check if they were exported legally from there and then of course they can say well only x amount percent was legally exported so the rest is all illegal and potentially all wild caught but i think these are not these are assumptions and assumptions are assumptions of course but maybe um two negative assumptions because i think it's not that that negative picture I feel like that was a pretty productive um, initial response and reaction to the uh, media and article. Um, but maybe later on we can expand on that a little. Of course, if anybody has like questions or points they wanted us to address in the future, like you can always submit that to us as well. We'll take a look at it and hopefully be a little bit quicker and better at posting the podcasts. But um Today was just a special, I guess, emergency one, as you said, where we wanted to get our voices out there as it's being released the day of as quickly as possible. And uh, yeah, anything else to add, Martin? All good. Check the preprint, check the actual uh, publication, check if I did say anything wrong, correct me on it. If I did say anything wrong, more than happy to correct it. And uh, yeah was fun to talk to you again actually
Yeah, you too. I heard you uh, speaking uh, Swiss earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was like, what's he saying? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Of course, we always had problems with the mic in the first few minutes. So, yep. <laughs> we did it though. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So, hear you guys next time. Peace out.